Hello, readers. Coming up, it's my chat with Nick Scown on Too Soon, comedy after 9-11. First, I wanted to remind you to check out our website at booksonpod.com. While there, you can sort through past shows by episode number, book title, author's last name, or sort by category. For instance, select the biographies and memoirs or humor category for episode number 121 with Joe Coy on Mixed Plate. Hey, everybody. This is Joe Coy, author of Mixed Plate, and you guys are listening to Books on Pod with Trey Ellen. I love you, Trey. Hello, readers. We're taking another break from books today for the latest in our Docs on Pod series. This with filmmaker Nick Scown, whose new film that he co-directed with comedy journalist Julie Sebaugh. It premiered on Vice. It's called Too Soon, Comedy After 9-11. Nick, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Trey. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, for anybody who's unfamiliar, what is too soon? Uh, the, the movie or the idea? <laughs> How about let's start uh, with the idea that then turns into the movie. Great. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, too soon is um, essentially the idea that a comic or a comedian uh, makes a joke. the The audience groans because it's uh, too soon to to talk about it. And uh, kind of one of the most infamous occasions of that was uh, Gilbert Godfrey at the Hugh Hefner roast about a month after the 9-11 attacks made a joke about um, his plane having a layover at the Empire State Building and someone in the audience actually shouted at him too soon. Hmm. Uh, and so since since then, it's kind of become a, a thing in comedy circles of if you if you tell a joke and, and it's uh, doesn't it doesn't quite land, uh, then you say too soon. Um and so that idea kind of translated into the film of the idea of when is it appropriate for for comedians and entertainers to to talk about the the issues of the day and primarily the focus of, of our film is is on 9/11 and the uh, the aftermath of the attacks and how uh, comics um, you know as like a filter for what we see and what we hear. Uh, had to figure out how to put voice to what we were all feeling at that time, whether it was anger or fear or shock, um, to help us uh, process, uh, you know, the, our daily events and then traumatic events like, uh, like the attack or even now, like with the pandemic of just helping us through these trying times and trying to make sense of the world. And uh, comics entertainers have uh, always been that way for me, and so we wanted to, to make a film, kind of, kind of seeing why why too soon is a thing and why sometimes we can't know what too soon is um, until people laugh or not. I think, if, I think Cedric the Entertainer says, you know, that's the thing about too soon is you don't know until you say it until <laughs> that moment where the joke comes out of your mouth and people laugh or they groan, you don't know if it's going to work or not. And that's the, uh, the tightrope that comedians walk. When did you and Julie begin working on this film and what was the starting point in terms of trying to put together something substantive? Yeah, I mean, we we started on this about five years ago, so it's it's been a um, a long term passion project for us, and uh, I think the idea that we both had is, um, you know, uh, Julie Sipa, uh, my my co director, she's a um, a comedy journalist, and I'm a comedy fan, and the thing we wanted to represent is is to show, uh, uh, heroic might be too grand of a term, but the the heroism and what comics do or or uh the power that comics have to help us when we don't think about it and to try and acknowledge them and 
and how they help us in these trying times. And so that became sort of our our guiding light is there's the idea of um, trashy plus time equals comedy. But uh, we kind of found in interviewing people uh, in the film that it was tragedy plus time plus comedy equals healing. And so that became what we really wanted to focus on. And, uh, you know, it started just the two of us borrowing camera equipment and Julie calling in favors to comics she was friends with and uh, slowly over time accumulating footage and uh, cutting it together and uh, being able to kind of show as a proof of concept to other comics we wanted to interview or uh, potential producing partners or distributors of like, this is the film this is what we're doing because this is a, you know, it, this could be a hot button subject for people to be talking. You just see comedy and 9-11 together and some people are already, you know, uh, freaked out or offended. So we, we kind of had to show to everyone, this is, this is the approach we're taking. It's not just a series of 9-11 of tasteless 9-11 jokes. It's about um, how comedians uh, filter the world. And uh, uh, that was kind of, how we we slowly built the film over time was was to prove to people how we would treat the story and how we would treat them as interview subjects. Who was the first comedian that you interviewed? The first person was Todd Barry. Hmm. So we got Todd. Uh, he's a, a old friend of Julie's, and uh, we actually traveled up to the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Montreal uh, because we knew he would sit down with us and a few of the other comics uh, we wanted to talk to were going to be up there. So. We uh, <laughs> we used our sky miles and hotel points and went up to Canada and and uh, started shooting. But yeah, Todd Todd was was the first one, and um, which was very helpful because having someone like Todd, who other comics you know uh, know and recognize and trust, uh, helped get so many people after that. Rob Riggle's story really surprised me. I had known that he was in the military at one point. I didn't realize that he was amongst the 9-11 first responders. Was there any person or story that surprised you as you were going about gathering these various viewpoints of what was happening in, around, and after 9-11? Yeah, Rob's story uh, certainly one. You know, I, I I didn't even know he was in the military. Uh, I just I just knew him from, you know, his, his comedic performances mostly. Um, so uh, when we found out about his story, it was like that he immediately became like, oh, we have to talk to Rob because here's someone who who was there, who was, you know, going through the rubble with his with his own hands and um, and then sub- subsequently, you know, went to to go fight in the wars after that. And so, uh, you know, he's someone whose point of view we definitely wanted uh, since he was there. Um and then another story that I had not uh, heard until we started working on this was um, Scott Thompson's story of how uh, he had been a victim of like domestic terrorism, a domestic terrorist attack, and you know used that as fuel to do a one-man show that was supposed to open in September 2001, and then the attacks happened, and nobody wanted to, to watch a one-man show about terrorism all of a sudden. So uh, Scott's story and Rob's story were 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 new ones for me and uh I, one of the most important ones uh was the uh the rise of kind of uh comics of arab middle eastern and south uh east asian descent who struggled to uh, the, against the like uh, islamic backlash that happened after the attacks and used that as fuel to help um uh, tell their story and get a different point of view because at the time 
you know, any depiction of a Muslim was as a terrorist on 24 or every news report was a negative one. And so uh, they took it upon themselves to portray their cultures in a positive light and show that there, there wasn't, um, uh, you know, there's another side to them that they are all terrorists. And, and that to me was a story that was, um, was, was super important and that I hadn't known before this. So I was glad to discover and, and to share that story with people now. Was there someone or something that cue, uh, that clued y'all into that storyline that allowed you to further pursue it? Uh, you know, Julie, I think uh, she she knew about them. And so she said, you know, she was the one who was kind of like, oh, we we definitely need to try and talk to to these people. And um, Nagin Frasad, who who is kind of the generation after those guys who got inspired by them to go on, like, oh, we need to really talk to, the, to them um, because they were people who were, you know, in some ways the most affected by this because it wasn't it wasn't just something that happened outside of them they were experienced every day they were getting uh you know uh, death threats for trying to perform like they had some of the most challenges so uh we I, i'm trying to think who we first i think we first interviewed um dino badala and mcgain prasad and uh just hearing their stories we're like oh we gotta we gotta try and get everybody because because uh, these guys uh, uh had a lot uh, a lot more challenges i think like mark maron says like whatever you know, white people were dealing with at the time. It was nothing to what these guys were dealing with. And, hmm. and so, uh, yeah, that became like a, a big uh, uh, subject that we wanted to focus on. Obviously, part of the premise with Too Soon is the pen t- the potential to get yourself in trouble if you say something that is considered too soon. The most obvious example from the aftermath of 9-11 was Bill Maher, and he wasn't even saying a joke necessarily. He just disputed that the terrorists were cowards. He's actually said that they're, that's pretty gutsy to fly airplanes into buildings. He gets fired by ABC as a result. Now he landed on his feet because he ultimately gets real time with Bill Maher on HBO. Were there any comedians, any men or women who actually lost their comedy career as a result of 9-11? You know, um, there was, he wasn't in the film. I'm, I'm trying to remember his name, but there, there was a comic who's, uh, uh, the primary shtick was that he would, uh, come on stage with like a bomb, uh, like a fake bomb thing on, under his coat as if he was taking the, the audience hostage. Oh my gosh. Um, and so he, and that, that he, was, that uh, was his bit before nine 11 you're saying. Yeah. So yeah, that was his bit before nine 11. And so after that, uh, he, uh, he left uh, comedy after that. Uh, and, um, I guess is, is now a lawyer. So, uh, <laughs> he, he landed on his feet, but yeah, the com- comedy was not for him after that point. Um, so there, there was, it was mostly, uh, stories like Bill Mars where, where people's, uh, lives were affected. Um, you know, like I said, like Scott Thompson, he thinks his career completely changed because, uh, you know, he thought it was going to be the best thing he'd ever done. And he had also sunk a lot of money financially into the show, which now was just gone. And so from a financial and career standpoint, he felt like he, he had just been set back for, for years. And he had told us like he hadn't watched any of the footage from his show uh, since he'd done it just cause it was, it was too painful. And, and now he's, he said he's, he finally watched it again and, I don't know. There's there's hope that maybe he'll release that just because uh, mm. uh, it'd be worthwhile for people to see, and it, it is, you know, such a uh, interesting work 
that he he did um uh and then kind of one of the other people that we talked to you know besides like janine garofalo was getting death threats for 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 speaking out like those kind of things and daryl hammond uh just talks in the film about how you know he would just kind of use who's not you know known as an an offensive comic or like a, a you know a hot take comic by any means but he was uh he was supposed to just do like a corporate gig in Washington, DC, where he would do impressions of politicians and everyone would laugh. And he tried making a, doing an impression of George W. Bush and the audience was not having it. And they canceled all their shows with him. And, uh, he, you know, he said he'd lost a lot of work. And so, um, you know, most, for most people at the time, it was just, uh, yeah, a lot of financial pain. Um, but just a few careers that, that literally stopped like, uh, the, the comic who, who could no longer, uh, wear a suicide vest <laughs> to a show as, as a shtick. And I guess, uh, yeah, you know, maybe if he did, maybe if he had more material, he could have survived, but I guess that was his his main bit. That's what you get for trying to go the Gallagher route, I guess. You know, speaking of <laughs> DC and then being out of touch with what it is comedians are trying to do, I remember how shocked I was in the moment when the White House Correspondents' Dinner asked uh, Stephen Colbert to serve as the MC for that, knowing what he was capable of and that it was satire that he was performing on the Colbert Report and how he felt about George W. Bush. And man, he did not pull any punches. Did the White House really not realize that Colbert was doing satire on his show when they invited him to MC the Correspondence Dinner? Because there were a lot of unhappy faces in the crowd that night, unlike what you normally see in that Friars Row sort of setting. Yeah. No, I mean, they, um, uh, the, the writers, uh, of, the the, the Colbert report who, who were there with Steven and, uh, who helped him write that, the, his speech, uh, that night, um, they said like, uh, it's, it became apparent very quickly that they had not watched the show that all they knew was that, oh, it's a comedian who does political stuff, uh, essentially. Um, cause the show had only been on, I think for, uh, for four or five months at that point. Um, and so, uh, you know, they got there and uh, I, I can't remember exactly what Stephen's first joke was, but it was a very kind of what they thought was just like a nice compared to what they were going to do with the rest of the speech, a very softball joke. And uh, it just landed with a thud. And they were like, oh, we are in trouble because they don't know. They don't know what they're in for. If they, if they think that one is is bad, they don't know what they're about to get to do, uh, you know, what they're about to experience. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think um Stephen was saying he had um, uh, he had met uh, the president, uh, you know, beforehand and shook his hand and everything seemed nice. And he he kind of got a sense from them like, oh, he doesn't know what I do because he would not be this friendly and and (laughs) nice if he knew what my style of comedy was. So it definitely um, was, I think, a big turning point in in kind of Stephen's career and, and just kind of the audience that he had and cultivated uh, because he was someone who was not afraid to, uh, to speak out in, uh, you know, his style where, you know, he's, he's damning them with praise, uh, kind of, uh, with his joke about like, um, you know, this people are say this administration is the Titanic, but if anything, it's the Hindenburg cause they're, they're flying, they're soaring, you know, and, uh, stuff like that. So he, he was really a, uh, uh someone who, uh, was not afraid to to speak out against uh, the hypocrisy of what Bush was doing, which I think helped him find a larger audience and, uh, you know, maybe guided uh, the direction he went where him and, and kind of John Stewart, where I think they found um, 
that there was an audience for talking about these things that uh, maybe we wouldn't talk about in polite company, but we, we need to have a discussion about and they weren't afraid to tackle those topics. Y'all talked to so many different comedians throughout this film, Gilbert Godfrey, Jeff Ross, David Cross, and many more. Was there anyone who declined to participate that especially disappointed you? Uh, you know, I mean, there was a lot of people that we we wanted to, to have, uh, you know, sit down with us. I mean, you can kind of tell just from all the clips that we have in the movie that uh, anyone who has a clip in there, we probably asked them if they wanted to to sit down with us and talk. Um so I have to admit I'm a little try- bit I'm a little bit surprised because John Stewart is such an awesome dude and how hard he's fought for this cause. I'm, I'm surprised that he didn't sit down with y'all at all. He was definitely someone we you know we tried to to go after. It was um I think part of the issue we had was there was you know we were we were finishing this uh in the middle of a pandemic and mm-hmm. so it uh, got very complicated very quickly of where can we shoot? How can we shoot safely? Can we shoot outdoors? Hmm. And um, I know with John specifically, he was uh, prepping his new show, which just started. And so he just said, you know, he 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 couldn't really focus on anything else except his show at the time, which is right. is, is fair. And there were other uh, talk show hosts who they would they would be like, look, this is a a great idea, totally get it, but that was the worst time in my life uh, and like right now in a pandemic i don't know if that's the time for me to start living <laughs> reliving that experience and so we we totally got it so we tried our best uh was that cool was that cool barrett that said that uh it, it, it wasn't steven but okay. uh uh yeah I, w- I won't say who but but it was it was uh one of the talk show hosts who was on the air at the time so gotcha. it was um yeah uh so it, it was it, you know and there were people like, uh, you know, who we wanted, like like a David Letterman or Stephen or John, who we we tried to at least find archival footage of them talking about that time, so that we still had their voices and got uh, a sense of what they went through and what they experienced, even if we personally didn't get them in an interview chair. Because at the end of the day, for us, it's it's it would be awesome to talk to John Stewart. Um, but if uh, if nothing else, we still want to include his story, even if we can't talk to him, because his story is such an important one, especially when you look at the last 20 years of comedy, the the influence he's had is, you know, is profound. You know, like if, if you think if you told someone in 1999 that The Daily Show is going to be winning Peabody Awards the next decade, they would not believe you, you know. <laughs> All right, last question, and uh, this actually does relate to COVID-19. One of my favorite uh, storylines or uh, one of my favorite uh, items that you explore in this documentary has to do with this idea of getting back to normal after 9-11. A number of different people share their thoughts, sometimes funny, on what it means to get back to normal in America. I'm curious, though, Nick, what do you think it means to get back to normal from this current pandemic that we're going through? You know, I mean, that's a really good question because as I, as I've thought about it, I mean, we obviously didn't know that there was going to five years ago when we started making that there was going to be a pandemic going on. Um, But I think if anything, kind of what I've realized in making the film is uh, that after an event like 9-11 or this pandemic, that there, there is no going back to normal, that the world is going to change things, decisions are going to get made the country is going to go down a different path than it would have otherwise, but that 
just because it's not going back to normal, it's going to be, doesn't mean we can't, we're not going to survive. You know, like the world has changed immensely since 2001, but we, through a lot of trials and tribulations, have found a way to uh, to survive it, to get through it together, to make each other laugh at things that we never thought we'd be able to laugh at. And so, you know, I have a friend who he had watched a, a rough cut of the film last year when we were all trapped in lockdown. And, you know, he said I was not in the mood for to watch a 9-11 documentary uh, at the time, but I, but he was glad that he did because he said it reminded him, yes, there are these these dark, depressing moments where it seems like the world is ending. And but we 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 find a way out of it. We find a way through it. And, um, you know, comedians are part of the process. I You know, I we sometimes take for granted the fact that Stephen Colbert or Jimmy Kimmel are doing like shows from their house, you know, that uh, Saturday Night Live found a way to still do their show, even though they were all trapped at home. You know, uh, um, you know, they, they just they they do such a great service for for us uh, in our society of of helping us through the challenges that, uh, uh, you know, hopefully if people watch this, they, they, they realize it and don't take it for granted that um, comics are always there to help us process, uh, you know, what we're going through in our daily lives. Nick Scowen is a filmmaker who, along with comedy journalist Julie Sebaugh, has directed an excellent new film. It's called Too Soon, Comedy After 9-11. Go to TooSoonDoc.com to find out more info there. Nick, thank you so much for the time today, and thank you for this important film. Thank you, Trey. Thanks for, for taking time to talk to us about it. Join me next time when I speak with food and culture writer Matt Siegel on The Secret History of Food. Strange but true stories about the origins of everything we eat. Thanks to Gentleman Jesus for the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at GentlemanJesus.com. And thanks to you for hanging out. You can listen, learn, and connect for free at BooksOnPod.com. For Books on Pod, I'm Trey Elling. Good day. Good day.